This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley. On October 1st, as a shooter was spraying the field where concert goers were attending a country western concert in Las Vegas, there was a off-duty firefighter named Dean McCauley who was there with two of his friends. And initially, McCauley and his two friends, as the bullets were sort of spraying the ground, said, we got to get out of here. Um, his two, but McCauley hesitated, and his friend said, hey, you got to come. And McCauley said, no, I, I got some work to do. I got to go back. And he found his way to the medical tent where he found some medical gloves, and he put them on. He was able to rescue two young women and get them to safety. And then he went back and he found another young woman, a 17-year-old girl named Natalia Baca, who was literally bleeding out. He found something to use as a tourniquet and stopped the bleeding. And he hooked her up to an IV, got her into a car, and they took her to the ambulance where he called Natalia's father and Natalia lived and is okay. A day later, Dean McCauley went home and he, to his wife and his son and his dog, and he said, according to the New York Times, he said, I squeezed the heck out of my wife. I was just so happy to be home and so happy to see her. You know, every time I hear a story like this, a story of a real-life sacrifice, somebody putting their life on the line for someone else or for other group of people, it just like really moves me. I kind of, I have like a file, I collect these stories because they always show up in traumatic situations like this. Somebody is willing to put their life on the line. Somebody is willing to say, my life for yours. Not just my life for me or my life for me and a little group of friends that I happen to like, but my life for yours. That is the essence of sacrifice. Now, it strikes me and it moves me so much because we live in a world of so much selfishness and so much corruption and so much violence. And you look into our, my own heart and maybe you look in your own heart and you see so much selfishness and pettiness. And maybe you're not a violent person, but I can just be a really petty person. I can be a really self-centered person. And then something like this happens and it just kind of like cracks your heart wide open. It's like, wow. That is amazing love. Now, for those of you raised in the church, you know the Christian story, you know where I'm going with this. Because the story of Dean McCauley is a human, flawed, because he's a few, flawed human being. He's a sinful human being like us. But it's a foretaste. It's a, like a shadow. It's like a cup from a great ocean of the story of sacrificial love we find in the Bible. The story of sacrificial love of God the Father sending his son to die for our sins. And that's the story that we have in the first reading that you heard from the book of Philippians. We're in a series called Free to Sacrifice. And last Sunday, Bishop Stewart preached a sermon called The Courage to Sacrifice. I encourage you to go back online and listen to that. That's sort of the foundation for this series. Today I want to talk about the beauty of sacrifice and what it really is that motivates us, that fuels us, that ignites a passion for us to live a life of sacrifice. And I've summarized this passage in a beautiful and artistic sketch, speaking of beauty. 
So if you turn to page 12 in your bulletin, you'll see that beautiful drawing. Now, we're always talking about leaders and artists. The bishop is always talking about leaders and artists at Res, and I always feel kind of left out because I feel like I'm not an artist, but I think this proves I am an artist, okay? And the artist who actually did this wanted me to, well, she kind of didn't really demand this, but I think she was kind of hinting, I just want people to know that this is actually your drawing. Um, this is a rendition of your drawing. So, but it really does, in a very simple way, it summarizes what this passage is all about. So you notice there's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity, with the cross at the center, pouring out his love on us, on you, on me. Well, that doesn't just move us. That doesn't just inspire us. It transforms us. So we want to give love back to God. Imagine Natalia Baca, you know, the, the love that she feels for Dean McCauley that just flows out of her because of what he did for her. And then the arrow going to the right, as God loves us and as Christ we experience his love, we pour out his love towards other people. We live a life of sacrifice for other people. And that's what's going on in this passage in Philippians 2. Now, so what I want to do is I want to encourage you to open up your bulletins to page um, 9 because we're going to walk through this word by word and phrase by phrase. And we're going to see what is going on in this story. So <clears throat> when I was a kid, maybe about 11 years old, I had a collection of um, agates from Lake Superior in northern Minnesota, these beautiful stones. I had them polished, and you could see all the colors and the, the hues and the stripes and I used to take them out of this cigar box and line them up one by one and just sort of look at my beautiful rocks. Well, I'm going to do, I want to do that this morning with this passage. Every phrase is a beautiful stone. Let's just look at it one at a time, and you're going to see the whole story that this tells. So it begins at verse 5, actually. I want to start there, and then I'm going to come back to the earlier verses later. But verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, the idea is not to just be forgiven, not to just be accepted by Jesus, as important that, that, that is, but God wants to actually transform you. God wants to put the mind of Jesus Christ in your life. He wants, through the Holy Spirit that lives within you, God wants to put the outlook of Jesus, how Jesus looks at the world, how Jesus looks at things, how Jesus looks at events. He wants to put that mind of Jesus into you so you start thinking a little bit more, acting a little bit more, feeling a little bit more like Jesus himself. That's what Christians call sanctification. That's what's called growth. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens in what, what Paul's going to tell us next in verses 6 through 11. And let me just walk through this. So verse 6 says, who although he, talking about Jesus, was in the form of God. Now the word form there is really important. It doesn't just mean that Jesus was, had the outward form of God or he had like, he had like some kind of glory of God. He was actually God in human flesh. It's the word, the Greek word morphe, which literally meant the essence of something, the essential nature of something. So it's saying that Jesus was fully God in human flesh, not a junior varsity God, not part God. So the question is, if you were God, if you were the essential nature of God, how would you act? Well, a lot of us think, well, what is God like? God is all-powerful. God does whatever God wants to do. When God says jump, we better jump. God has certain privileges. God has certain powers. God has certain prerogatives. So how would Jesus, in, 
how would he act? Well, here's the next phrase. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word grasp is the word to, to get something that, you, that you're entitled to, to get something that, that you're privileged to. You have certain privileges, so go for it. Grab it. Just do it, as we might say. Just go for that thing because you're entitled to it. So here it's saying that Jesus did not act the way we think that God would normally act, by just grabbing all his privileges. Instead, verse 7, he emptied himself. He emptied himself in love for us, saying, I'm going to give my life for yours. Again, what is God like? Well, the Bible says, the New Testament says, look at Jesus. That's exactly what God is like. So what did he do? He emptied himself. Now, he didn't empty himself of godness. When Jesus became a human being, he didn't become less God, just 50% God instead of 100% God. He's still fully God. So what did he empty himself of? Well, that's probably a figurative way of saying he emptied, poured himself out. He gave everything he had. We use this phrase sometimes in athletics. Say, for instance, the women's national soccer team for the United States, they play 90 minutes, the score is still tied, they play one overtime, they play two overtimes, now they've played 120 minutes, they've probably run for like seven or eight miles in this span of time, and then they do PKs, and they're exhausted, and they fall on the field. Why? Because they poured themselves out. They gave everything. Well, here's the thing with Jesus. He didn't just pour himself out for one game, one match, one day. His whole life was a pouring himself out for others. And his whole existence still is pouring himself out. And he poured himself not just out, but he poured himself into something, which is really important. So he says he's emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men. So he poured himself into a human being, but not just any ordinary human being, not just a remarkable human being or a rich human being or a powerful human being or a privileged human being or a beautiful human being. He poured himself into a very ordinary human being and even less than ordinary, a servant, a doulos, a slave, so that you'd walk by him on the street and you would pay no attention to him. As the song from 15 years ago said, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just riding on the bus like one of us? Well, that has a certain theological truth to it. What if God was one of God was one of us? Not a slob like one of us. I don't know if I call Jesus a slob, but I get the point. He was just one of us, very ordinary. God poured himself into that. So, Jesus is the form of God. How does God show who he really is? By pouring himself out for the sake of others. My life for yours. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus was fully obedient. He lived the life we should have lived. He ran the race we should have run perfectly consistently. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, none of us have done that. We're inconsistent. Sometimes we're interested in God. Sometimes we want to do what God wants. Sometimes we don't. 
Sometimes we know what God wants, and we just flat out say, nope, forget it, I'm doing it my way. Jesus consistently did it God the Father's way. We uh, launched our Alpha, which is a kind of an introductory course to allow people to explore Christianity at their pace and their way um, in the DuPage County Jail. And so nine guys showed up, and at the first Alpha, we always ask one question, that is, if, if, assuming you believe in God, uh, if you could ask God one question, what would it be, and why? And so all the guys went around the room, and one of the guys, a young guy in his late 20s, involved in gangs, in and out of gangs his whole life, now he's got his, his, his uh, wife or girlfriend is pregnant, seven months pregnant, he wants to get out, he wants to become a good father, he wants to reunite his life with the Lord, but he's really struggled with getting in and out of gangs. He said, here's the question I would ask, why did God make it so easy to sin? And I thought of that, and I thought, you know, gangs aren't really, I'm not really tempted to join a gang. Um, I've never really been that. That's never been a problem for me. But I totally relate with his question. I got my stuff. I got my issues, which is just as serious, just can just as much pull me away from God. I really resonated with that. Well, the Bible says that God, we have a bent and broken human nature that's bent away from God, that we have a sinful nature Jesus walked right into that without sinning and bent it all the way back to obedience. He was obedient even to the point of death. And then it says, even death on a cross. Now, of course, you probably know, there was no place lower than death on a cross. People in those days didn't walk around with crosses on. It wasn't a piece of jewelry. It was, re- it was reserved for low life. It was reserved for rejects and rebels. It was reserved for people who, whatever they did, they had it coming. And they're rejected. The Romans were horrified by it. Jewish people said that, and, that anybody that hangs on a cross is accursed. And yet there he is hanging on the cross, even death on a cross. God is demonstrating in Jesus, the form of God, that there is no place too low for God to go, to go down and reach a flawed and human, rebellious humans, broken humans. There's no place too low. You can't go any lower than Jesus went. You can't start any higher. You can't go any lower. So verse 8 ends, it's just sort of like, there should be a paragraph break there, and there should be like silence, like thud, darkness, defeat, utter rejection and desolation. It just looks absolutely hopeless at the end of verse 8. So we just kind of pause. And then verse 9, therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So verse 8, thud, silence, darkness. Verse 9, what we call at Church of the Resurrection, crazy holy noise. So every Easter, if you've been here, if you've not been here, let me explain what we do. So every Easter, we have this acclamation of holy noise, and it is 
celebrating the resurrection of Jesus after we walk through Lent, after we walk through Holy Week, after we walk through the crucifixion. It is nuts. The noise is deafening. It's like being inside a jet engine. If you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. Children dancing all over the place. It's, it's bedlam. It's craziness. It's holy bedlam, holy joy, holy noise. That's what verse 9 is talking about. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Now, does that mean that Jesus got a promotion? Not like God the Father said, oh, you did such a good job. I'm going to promote you now. I'm going to lift you up. No, it was not a promotion. It was a vindication. It was a vindication saying that it's God the Father's stamp of approval and honor that Jesus was acting like the real God acts. That that is the deepest story at the heart of the Bible's message and that God overflows with self-giving love, that God says, my life for yours. Whenever God is in charge in the Bible, true humility is always results in exaltation. Not right away, but eventually. God is doing here what God always does, which is to lift up the humble, to lift up to those who go low. Now, so Jesus couldn't go any lower, but you can't get any higher than Jesus. So you have this. He starts higher. He goes lower. He ends up higher than anybody. The name above every name. Now, let me just pause for just a minute and just interject something. Because I know, and just speak um, pastorally, because I know some of you in this church family, and there's probably a lot of you that I don't know, that you're going through a season or a journey of sacrifice that is really deep and painful. And maybe it's caring for a child. Maybe it's being in a marriage that's really struggling right now. Maybe it's you've made some choice to follow Jesus, and it's really costly. And a lot of people think you're crazy. And why would you do that? And you're in a deep season of sacrifice. Let me just say from the heart of this passage that God knows what you're going through. And that if you're with Jesus, if you're in Jesus, everything that happened to Jesus, you're in Christ, everything that happened to Jesus is going to happen to you. So you're like walking with him now kind of through death, which feels like, feels like death, feels like a small crucifixion you will also walk with him through vindication. You will also walk with him through exaltation. Just as Jesus went low to go high, you are going low and you will go high. Just as Jesus had tears, the tears turned to joy, your tears will turn to joy. Just as Jesus' defeat was turned to vindication, your defeat will turn to vindication. Just as brokenness turns to healing, the same thing for you. God is not finished with your story yet. So I think part of what Paul wants us to see here is that when we go low, God is going to bring us out of that as well. So that's the story. That's the gospel story. That's the story of the gospel, my life for yours. Now again, the point of this is not to just be inspired. The point of this is not just to move us. In my, As I pointed out in my brilliant illustration there, there's a rightward movement as we receive from the Lord Jesus, as we're united with him, as we're in him, as we're caught up in him and his spirit is in within us, 
We want to pour out our lives and sacrifice for others. And that's actually the application in this passage, which is actually at the beginning of this text. So let me go back and read that because the Apostle Paul kind of front loads it with the application and then he tells us sort of how to do it or what makes it all happen. Here's the application, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing in selfish, selfish ambition. Now, ambition is not a bad thing. God's not anti-ambition, but there's selfish ambition. That's when ambition runs amok. It gets, it gets twisted by our needs, by our selfish desires. It becomes selfish. It becomes all about us. And we can wreck people around us. Believe me, I've done it in my life. Most, most of us have at one point or another. That is when it becomes twisted. It becomes selfish. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition because of who Christ is, because of who you are in him. And he says, also do nothing from conceit. The word conceit there is literally the Greek word for empty glory. It's that craving we all have to get glory, to get, we, we want to be affirmed. We want people to tell us how great we are. We want, we want glory. But unfortunately, it becomes like a never-ending quest. It just becomes, we're just famished for it, and we never get enough. And then he goes on to say, look not only to your own interests, and I love that because it assumes that you're going to look for your own interests because we're human beings, right? You can't just forget that you have needs. Nobody can really live that way. That's not realistic. I love how realistic it is. It says, look not just to your own interests, but start looking to the interests of others and actually put them ahead of you. Put them at the head of the line for you. What's more important for you? Now, it's amazing how many of us think we don't really need this. For instance, I read some statistics this week. One survey said that who and who is really selfish and who we think is selfish. So 71% of people surveyed think that millennials are really selfish. Everybody loves beating up on the millennials. Everybody's scapegoat. I, millennials, we love you here, okay? We don't believe that. We believe 100% of you are selfish. I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> so and they did, did another research study and... So 60% of people thought that other people have a problem with looking out for themselves first. Those same people surveyed said 17% of them have a problem being selfish. See how it works? Does this surprise anybody, you know? Well, let's just call it even. 100% of us, we all struggle with this. It's the human condition in a fallen world and with our bent sinful nature. A hundred percent of us. But Jesus wants to deliver a hundred percent of us. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, if you meet a truly humble person, he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. That's the freedom of humility, is that God frees us from that. You know, let me just say, I hope that we can have an awakening to a life of sacrifice. We were at our uh, Alpha retreat. This was a different retreat for a different group of people. And one of the young women there um, said she's a young woman. She said she was working at a bar very far from God, not thinking about God, not a Christian, not interested, wasn't on her radar. And this bar, she said, was just a, such a dark place. Drugs and 
immorality and just all kinds of stuff. And she said, just one day it just hit her, I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't know what to do, but I just don't want to be here anymore. So she walked, she quit, she walked out. She, a week later, she stumbled into a church. It wasn't even a church service, it wasn't even Sunday morning, they were having a prayer meeting. She connected with some Christians, she gave her heart to the Lord, and she kept saying, I had, an, this is just six months ago, and I love the word she used, I had an awakening. I had a spiritual awakening. Well, let me just say, if you haven't started a journey with Christ yet, if you've been on a journey with Christ for a long time, we all need awakening. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit awakens us. We look at who Jesus is, we look at what he's done for us, we look at our lives and we go, oh no, I am not where I'm supposed to be. I am not whom I'm supposed to be. I got all this little petty selfishness, my life for me kind of, I'm just so wrapped up in it. Woe is me. But that's not where the gospel wants us to end. The gospel wants us to end with, thank you that you have saved me, that you have rescued me, that you have redeemed me, that you have awakened me. I pray this morning that some of us, all of us, will have a Holy Spirit awakening. Maybe the Lord is awakening you to a certain pattern, a certain way of your life, a certain area of your life that's, that's gotten really twisted. It's gotten really curved in on yourself. And it's really all about you, and you're just sort of my life for me. Maybe it's with your time, maybe it's with your finances, maybe it's with your career, maybe it's with your sexuality, maybe it's with your media consumption. I, I, you fill in that blank. I know I got mine. The gospel unwinds that. The work of the Spirit wants to awaken us to our need for Jesus. So the message is, don't try harder to be like Jesus. The message is, look to Jesus, receive from Jesus. Ask Jesus to make you more like him. May he make us people that are truly able to live lives where we are free to sacrifice. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.